This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm your host for Upstream and Perspective, Jessica Nelson. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ajay Singh Rial from our Upstream Cost and Technology team. Ajay and I will discuss Middle East industry trends. Ajay, spending in the Middle East looks like it will continue to account for about 10% of global upstream capex outlays for the next five years. I know IHS Market is forecasting a significant year-over-year change in onshore facilities, which you expect to jump uh, in 2019. Are there certain countries or projects driving this increase? Yes, because we expect the uh, spending and activity levels to uh, to be high in the Middle East, uh, not only in the next 12 months, but over the next five years as they have been over the past five years. But I'd like to highlight Iraq as probably the most interesting and most promising country in the Middle East, both uh, over the next 12 months, but also over the next uh, five years. Um, we see quite many initiatives at the same time in, in Iraq. Um, on the upstream side, uh, they are related to, um, to the rebuild of facilities in the north uh, after the defeat of the Islamic State. Um, and when it comes to kind of the overall oil and gas industry in Iraq, I would say that the most important driver for future uh, both spending and activity is related to um, the Iraqi government that stated a target to increase their oil production from 2 million barrels per day to 6.5 million barrels by, uh, per day by 2022. But of course, uh, a uh, triple uh, tripling of the um, oil production is quite ambitious and not necessarily a realistic target, but even though they don't meet this stated target, we can expect quite high activity in the country over the next years. And related to this kind of upstream uh, push in, in Iraq, they also have quite a strong initiative going on in, on the di- downstream side where they want to, to refine much of this output increase uh, that, that I just mentioned domestically. Uh, in order to meet the growing demand for refined products in in Iraq. And of course, hand in hand with that, to reduce or avoid uh, a large reliance on on imports. In terms of specific projects, the ones that I would highlight as the kind of the key projects going forward in the next few years is on the upstream side, it's the the Korea, uh, West Korea phase two and Majnoon uh, oil fields. And um, on the downstream side, it's the Basra, Diwania and Kut refineries uh, that are currently in the bidding phase, but we have reports that the financing can be an issue to get these uh, three refining projects uh, off the ground. Uh, but another thing which is quite interesting with Iraq is that uh, while they have this target of increasing their oil production, they also have a program in parallel where they want to exploit more of the gas that's currently being cleared and then increase the production of non-associated gas. Uh, the Seba gas field is one example of a project where they have that is that is in production now at the moment uh, actually where they uh, use the flared gas for uh, internal um, gas production. So basically in Iraq, there are lots of things happening uh, and there are lots of things, there are new projects in the pipeline. 
Of course, not all of them will be uh, sanctioned, but we still have a strong, uh, strong belief in uh, the future uh, Iraqi oil and gas sector. When it comes to uh, the rest of the region or uh, the Middle East, uh, we think that the spending activity will be uh, concentrated more around a uh, few large projects. The Dukham refinery in Oman, the Babco refinery in Bahrain, uh, the giant uh, Bab field in Abu Dhabi, and the Ruwais refinery expansion project also in Abu Dhabi. While uh, in Saudi Arabia, which is kind of the key market in the Middle East, uh, we expect a continued strong push on on gas projects as the kingdom is um is trying to diversify the the energy mix and this spending increase is coming as upstream costs are still significantly down since 2014 correct yeah it, you're correct about that if you're thinking cost in terms of uh, oil and gas specific cost drivers we think of uh, equipment prices they are still low uh, but they are on the rise on the rig side, offshore rigs, uh, vessel segments, daily rates are depressed, and we expect them to remain depressed over the next few years. Uh, then you're right. Yeah, the costs are down from 2014. But I think it's important to keep in mind that the Middle East oil and gas landscape is dominated by onshore projects, uh, projects and some key cost components within this part of the oil and gas sector are um, raw materials and labor. And when it comes to raw materials, if we look at steel prices, they almost halved from 2011 to 2015, but have recovered since since then. Cement prices on a global level have escalated annually since 2012. But if we look at the Middle East, there has been this region-wide construction boom uh, going on there for five, six years. Uh, and they are kind of competing for the same type of resources or uh, raw materials as the oil and gas sector. So what we see is that while the prices on the global level has increased, cement prices, for instance, uh, in the Middle East have far outpaced the global escalation level. Uh, the story is more or less the same on, on the labor side. It's been a high activity among industries that compete for more or less the same type of labor as the oil and gas sector, uh, which has kept the labor supply quite tight in large parts of the Middle East. So the consequence has been that while engineering, construction, manufacturing salaries have dropped in Europe and North America, uh, they've continued to increase in the in the Middle East. So um, yeah, so basically on a global basis, upstream costs are down since 2014. But some regions, such as the Middle East, uh, we see that the cost in um, um, in terms of labor, raw materials have actually um, increased, especially for those items that are sourced locally and not on the global market. You talked a little bit about how the Middle East has responded to those costs. How else have operators been responding to declining costs, and, and has it changed the timing of uh, any projects going forward? Uh, well, the, well, the oil and gas industry in the Middle East, uh, and including its EMP companies, are of course not uh, immune to a decline in oil prices or in other market changes on a global level. But there are a few uh, kind of items or uh, elements that make them stand out. First of all, it's uh, the break-even costs in the Middle East, which are considerably lower than in other parts of, uh, of the world. So for them, it's easier to kind of from a financial point of view, project economics point of view, it's easier for them to justify, uh, justify uh, project development. So uh, what we have seen historically is that 
the activity deriving from uh, from the Middle East has actually tended to increase in times of low oil prices. So if you put this um, in a perspective, uh, the Middle East has historically accounted for about 10% of uh, the annual global upstream oil and gas spending. Uh, this year was 9% in 2014, increased to 12% in 2017, and it's expected to remain around 11 to 13% over the next five years. So these percentage points, it doesn't sound much um, if they go up and down a couple of percentage points from one year to another or in two or three years' time. But if you look at it in absolute terms, we're still talking uh, tens of billions of dollars. So during, uh, or if you see from 2014 to 2017, not only has uh, the spending in the Middle East remained relatively stable, they've also actually gained quite a large part of the global market share in the oil and gas sector. Uh, another aspect is that the EMP companies in the Middle East are largely NLCs, and the economies, uh, national economies in the region are very much financed by the oil and gas sector. So projects in the region tend to be as much driven by social political goals and targets as by commercial considerations and interests, uh, whether that's uh, employment rates, investments and activities, or in the longer term, a revenue from uh, from the oil and gas sector. All in all, operators in the region have seen the cost deflation as an opportunity to carry out projects at a reduced cost. But at the same time, they also uh, have done so to um, keep a high economic activity in their respective countries. And we've noticed a change in Saudi Arabia where Saudi Aramco launched the In-Kingdom Total Value Add Program in 2015. Um, the aim of that was doubling the percentage of locally sourced goods to 70% by 2021. Is Saudi Aramco on target to hit that goal? And are you noticing any changes to the operating environment as a result of that program? Well, if you in general look at local content requirements, uh, such as uh, the ICTVA program um, uh, from Saudi Aramco, uh, it's nothing new. It's something that's been in place in many countries with mixed experience and success. And whether it's made any changes to the operating environment in Saudi Arabia, yes, I think we are seeing uh, signs of that. Examples are, say, on the engineering side. Uh, we see that quite many European and North American EPC contractors have set up or uh, have expanded their offices in Saudi Arabia. And a larger part of the engineering work is being executed in the kingdom using local stuff. So, yeah, some engineering has been transferred to Saudi Arabia, that's for sure. Uh, on the equipment side, we see a similar pattern. You have foreign equipment suppliers uh, that are also establishing uh, manufacturing uh, facilities in Saudi Arabia, or they are entering joint ventures with uh, local uh, companies to uh, get a presence in the, in the country. This is particularly, we have seen this within the valves market, pumps market, and um, these kind of uh, equipment um, um, categories. And then you have on the bulk side, you, also, you have already uh, foreign companies in, uh, in Saudi Arabia uh, on the bulk side as well. But what we may be seeing more of is that you have uh, expansion of uh, domestic supply capacity by domestic companies. So where Saudi companies are adding to their manufacturing capacity, for instance, within tubular goods such as uh, line pipe and, um, and OCCG. What we see as kind of a uh, shared feature among, uh, with most of these Saudi or 
this development of local supply capacity is that most of these investments are made within fields that are, if I can allow myself to call it more uh, off-the-shelf items that require manpower, uh, volume, and they have a spillover effect to other industries that are uh, large in, in the country. And if the intention is to increase employment rates, uh, develop a domestic value creation and uh, supply industries, uh, and to reduce the dependence on oil and gas sector, I would say that this makes sense to pursue and develop uh, these kind of uh, uh, the type of industries uh, which are more low tech, if I'm if you can call them that, uh, rather than complex niches that has a limited spillover effect and limited effect on value creation. Uh, I don't think we'll see gas turbines being uh, large gas turbines being manufactured in Saudi Arabia. I don't think we'll see subsea trees being manufactured in Arabia or full field, field, uh, field studies uh, being uh, conducted in Saudi Arabia. But I think that you'll see sectors, industries, uh, parts of industries that can create volume and that can uh, add still add quite a lot of uh, value to, um, uh, to other parts of um, the uh, Saudi economy as well. But when it comes to whether Saudi Aramco will reach uh, the 70% uh, level or uh, by 2021 through its ICBAR program. Uh, I don't think the aim in itself is to reach that specific level, but I think uh, the intention is to proactively push for more domestic manufacturing and value creation. Uh, the ICBAR program is important for sure, uh, but I don't think it's going to be, um, or I think it's less important than uh, cost control and overall quality. So all in all, I think uh 70% can be seen as a stretched uh, but also a moving target. Iran sanctions are obviously creating uncertainty around projects in that country. Where are some other areas in the Middle East that we should be watching carefully for unanticipated changes in capital outlays in the coming months? Well, if you if we take into consideration the Iran sanctions uh which are partly in place now uh, including the eight waivers uh, was issued uh, by uh, by the US. Uh, the major production declines in Venezuela, pipeline capacity issues in the US. I guess any unexpected supply disruption is probably one of the least wanted happenings on the production side uh, at the moment. The Brent prices have dropped 20% uh, over the past months, but I still think that the short-term oil fundamentals are still about sh uh, shortness. In our current forecast, we don't see any kind of unexpected development in the Middle East oil sector uh, because the soaring oil prices uh, are not in anyone's interest uh, and it would damage uh, long-term effects on the global economy. Uh, but when it comes to project development or the lack of progress, uh, progress in project sanctions, Iraq, which we consider one of the most promising and interesting uh, countries, is probably also one where complex political landscape and vulnerability when it comes to financing, for instance, can hamper uh, future development. So Iraq is a big market uh, with lots of potential, but we also see um, uh, high uncertainty in the country uh, when it comes to uh, project development, particularly in the short and medium term. Well, Ajay, thanks for sharing some of the trends you're seeing in the Middle East with us. I hope you can join us again in the future. Well, thank you for having me here. 
I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energyblog. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.